wonderful to have all of you here tonight. You know, we're excited to announce tonight that we've just released our new collaborative theater course taught by our very own Thomas Jerkowski. It's a, a pretty neat course. You get to learn not just about acting, but how to build sets and what it takes to put on a production. And, uh, you know, Thomas Tchaikovsky is uh, very versatile. He's uh, performed on stage in productions by, uh, you know, written by Shakespeare and others. We're still trying to convince him to try out for Disney on Ice. He hasn't, <laughs> hasn't taken that one on yet. Maybe next year. But. All right, well, now it's time to hear from someone who never acts out. It's Dr. John in the Technology Spotlight. It's amazing what they put in sprays these days. You know, like hairspray, fix your hairspray on the paint, cheese spray, right? You know, you spray the, the cheese, whipped cream. Well, how about this? Touch screen. You ever heard of touchscreen spray? Well, that's kind of what we're talking about. Some researchers at Bristol University have developed a way to spray on screens. The way this works is they first 3D print an object, and it can actually be any shape that the 3D printer can print. And then they spray on the different uh, components, and it turns into a screen. And they can actually make it a touchscreen. Let's take a closer look so we can kind of see what they're doing here. You'll notice this one is a seven-segment display that they made. They sprayed on the different things. Here's an odd shape. See how it lights up there? And here's a really odd shape. <laughs> and then just to show how versatile it is, they made a, a really strange uh, shape with the, the arrows lighting up like a display different places. So you can see it's pretty versatile. It's pretty amazing that they could do that. Let's take a closer look at what's really going on here. The very first thing that they do when they're going to make a display like this is they 3D print what they're going to spray the screen on. And in order to 3D print something like this, you need to have two types of materials. You need to have the plastic that doesn't conduct electricity and then the plastic that does conduct electricity. And a lot of modern 3D printers can do two materials at the same time, maybe two colors or something. So you can put this into a pretty normal printer and print the surface that you're going to turn into a screen. And then once it's all printed, then they do the sprays. And there are three different layers of spray they have to do. The first is a dielectric coating that they spray on. And then once that's done, then they do an emissive layer, which is actually what gives off light. And then they do the surface electrode on the top. And as you can see in the diagram, that green wire connects to the last coat, and that's what uh, conducts the electricity to power the screen. So you can spray on these materials and turn all kinds of things into touch screens. And um, so let's take a look at the process in action. If you watch this, they are 3D printing. Let's, let's get back over here. Okay. <laughs> All right, is it going? There we go. They're 3D printing a watch, and they're doing the two materials. And uh, this is sped up, of course. Now they're putting on the spray. They do the dielectric layer, and then they have to use an ultraviolet light when they do the emissive layer. 
And then I think we got one more layer that they got to spray on. Yeah, the third layer. That's the electrode layer. And then once it's on, they hook up the power and it turns on. Like magic, right? No, science. <laughs> like science. <laughs> and there we go. And try it out. And I think we got one more example here. They made a square one as well. You can tell it's given off quite a bit of light. And um, right now, it looks like it's mostly one color. But theoretically, you know, we could have sprays that do different colors. Now they're working on making a 3D printer that not only prints the shape, but also can put the sprays on, which would make it so this would be something that anybody could do. You know, you, uh, the, the way that you can with a 3D printer right now, you go and find the file online, and then you can print it out, and then you have one, right? <laughs> Pretty amazing if you could 3D print out a display that does things like that, you know, like a clock or uh, all kinds of different things that normally don't have displays could. For example, the surface of your counter or something like that. Or maybe the wall. We could uh, have a <laughs> display. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's starting to sound like something out of Star Wars, but <laughs> it's probably good. You know, and if, if they can put a display in a spray, who knows what else they could put in a spray? Who knows what's next? I'm hoping it's spray on hair or something. <laughs> anyway, that's all the tech we have the time for. Thank you. All right, and now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias. Have you ever heard of the saying, the camel that broke the straw's back? All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> okay. The, the needle that broke the camel's back, okay. It was a big straw, <laughs> okay. It took a hefty camel to break it, too, okay. No, the needle that broke the camel's back where just one more little thing and it broke something through and it made all the difference. Some breakthroughs are like that, where you have kind of the big focus, and one little thing that's figured out, and it makes all the difference, or a huge difference in the success of that. And you know, real quick, I do need to pause. I have a little piece of news. Yeah, they actually have discovered the first Earth-like planet with alien life, and the, the surprising thing is they've studied how the aliens communicate, it's very strange, they hardly talk. They, they communicate with nods, and they twiddle their thumbs. That's how they do it. It's like, mm-hmm, oh, yeah, 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 uh-huh. Oh, wait, that's us, sorry. <laughs> I think <clears throat> phones are so special, okay. <clears throat> We're actually talking about phones tonight. Um, I want to show you a picture of a really prehistoric set of phones. Uh, man, what are those things, you know? Jet side. Uh, but if you look at the bottom of these phones, we've got the keyboard and the keys, and then the top half, and the, in case you didn't know, these are actually really advanced. They were like the cool thing if you had this kind of phone, okay? So we're going to talk about a phone that was created called the iPhone, okay? So how did it come about? Well, of course, Steve Jobs was talking to his team, and they were looking for the next product they were going to work on, and they noticed that all of them had one thing, and that was a cell phone. And they also had another thing in common, that was they all did not like something about their cell phone, at least one thing, 
or there was something they wished their phone did that it didn't. And so they decided to start looking into, let's make a phone. Now, the first idea was we'll take the famous iPod with that wheel, you know, that touch wheel. We'll make a phone based on that. Can we do that? Well, that looked fairly promising until they started figuring out how are we going to make this control where you spin your thumb to select something in the menu. How do you type with that? Okay, I'm going to get the R, spin around. There's the R, click, spin around. Here's the T, click. That just takes too long. So they ended up dropping that. And Steve Jobs said, hey, you know that really secret project of the tablet touchscreen we've been working on? What if we put that on hold, oh good, <laughs> and shrink it down <laughs> to the size of a phone? <laughs> and can we make that a phone? And so they start working on that. But he had two rules, well, more, probably more than two rules. But two of his rules were, one, it's got to be multi-touch, meaning multiple fingers can t have to be able to touch it and control it at once. And he said he wanted no stylus. Now, if you don't know what a stylus is, it's pretty, you know, stylistic. Here's a picture of one. Um, when you're trying to use a little touchscreen, you need something to point and touch that little, you know, you need to be accurate. So they would come with these little styluses. You pull those out, I mean, you could scratch your ear and type, you know, it was great. <laughs> and he said, no, we're not going to use that. We only use fingers. That's what we're using. So it's got to be runnable by fingers, so by touch. So they started working on it, and they were working on the software, because the software behind this is going to have to be phenomenally groundbreaking to make this something that people can use. Because a lot of touchscreen gadgets had tried to break this through, and no one had really succeeded. So they were working on it, and he visited the team eventually and told them, this is not acceptable. And he said, you guys can do better. You need to do better. And he said, in two weeks, I will be back. And if, you're, if it's not amazing, then we're getting a new team to work on this project. So <clears throat> that's the way we roll. And so they worked hard. And when they went to bed, they went to the hotel across the street. Um, but after two weeks, he came to watch a demo. And they say he sat through the demo with no, no emotion, no words, just watching. And after the demo, he said, run it again. And they ran it again, and he loved it. And so they went forward on this plan. Now, this isn't even the breakthrough, because we, we start getting close to final release time. It's getting close when the, the iPhone, this top secret Project Purple, was actually what they called it, was coming to the release, but there was one problem, and that was the keyboard. And they had not cracked the keyboard, cracked it in you know figuring it out way. And that was, you know, before you had the actual physical keys, or you had that little pen, but that pen, stylus, I mean, you'd have to do one key at a time, right? And some people could go real fast, like a chopstick. But you still, it took a long time. He wanted both fingers to be able to go, both hands. So how do we get a keyboard? Well, what was the problem? The problem was accuracy. These thumbs trying to type something, it was very hard to be accurate. You try sending an email, you'd give up, because it was just so hard to get what you wanted typed down, because you keep hitting the wrong keys. So they were literally within months of the release, and they still did not have a keyboard that was sufficient enough. And really, this is one of the big stops of anyone before who had tried to do this. How do you have a typing system in that little thing? So they stopped all work on every project in software, and they all spent three weeks. We're all going to spend three weeks on keyboards. So they all went and started making keyboards. And after three weeks, they all met in a conference room and took turns showing their keyboard. 
and they had crazy ones where you had to learn these new patterns of swiping around, doing these loops, all kinds of creative ideas that were terrible. And then one, one fellow gets up, and his keyboard looks like a normal keyboard, which they had, they had tried that, but then he starts typing, and he's, it's super easy, and he's super accurate, and they try it, and it works perfectly. And wait, wait a minute, we tried this, and it didn't work. Why is yours working? Well, what he ended up doing was, in the back end, putting basically an artificial intelligence-type system in where the, f the software, depending on what key you pushed first, T, it would look at what are the most common words. The, the is very common. And the, while the keys on, to you would stay the same size, the, the actual area of the regions, the touch regions, would change. So if you push T, H is the next letter for the. The touch region of H, without you seeing, would grow. And if you push H, E is getting huge over there. Whoa! Okay? <laughs> and depending on what you would type, without your, you being aware of it, the touch regions would change. And this allowed them to be extremely accurate, and all of a the sudden, they had a keyboard. And they got it implemented, and the phone went out, and it was, there's a lot of fun stories about when they released it, um, but that one little thing would go on to, obviously, I mean, we all know the rest of the story of how huge this went, and now it's everywhere with touch screens and these little devices where we can type so accurately. Sometimes we forget, we don't even know, we're just like, man, I'm good, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, but there's all this, this stuff in the background we don't even know about, and that's the idea. But something where they took some technology, someone else had probably you know, pushed through and made, and they figured out a way to use it um, to make this product become a breakthrough. So you, know, you never know, you know when you just need to turn it up and work hard and work hard and work hard for three weeks, and you, know, you, you might turn the whole world into aliens. So <laughs> all right, thank you. All right, and now introducing Roger Billings. iPhones are pretty neat, aren't they? They are. In fact, um, I got one. Yeah. And this is the new blue model. <laughs> you have a blue model. Yeah, I, I got this blue model. Okay, it's a case. <laughs> but it's an intelligent case. You know, uh, Tobias was telling us about how you push your thumb and the thing gets big, and that's nice. But this one, you don't even need to use your thumbs. It types itself. Oh, yeah? No, seriously. You just kind of get ready to type, and you think what you want to say, and it just types it. Really? Do you want to see? I do. This? Okay, I'm going to send you a message. Here we go. Dr. Monet, your hair's funny. <laughs> but we're still working on, you know. <laughs> is it really? Some is it sticking out? Oh, my goodness. It, it might is. be, actually. It, <laughs> <laughs> it does that. Okay, yeah. You know, this is a, 
It's pretty neat, isn't it? This, uh -huh. a, this is a fishing pole. It is. I love yeah, fishing. Yeah, and uh, you know, maybe we catch something out there. Uh -huh. But uh, fishing is, is kind of a neat thing. That's a big hook. And did you know that today when people go fishing, they know whether or not there are fish there? Now, when I was very young, I got a pole. In fact, this may be it. <laughs> but I used to go fishing in the mud puddle out in front of our house. And I never caught anything. And I think it was because I was using the wrong bait. I think so. Yeah. But at any rate, they have figured out a way to look under the water to see if there are any fish there. Have you ever seen a fish finder? Sure yeah. Do you know how they work? I don't know how they work. Yeah, they I've seen really the good. fish they finders. Really good, yeah. Mm -hmm. They actually yell at the fish. The fish finders do. I've got a little thing to show this here. Okay, see if I can get this fired up. Okay. I'm <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll take this over here. So this is my fish finder. And what this is actually inside this tube, there's a speaker that makes a noise. And the noise goes out in the room. But what if the noise were to be sent through the water? Sound can travel through water. In fact, mm -hmm. do you think sound goes faster in water or slower? Remember, sound is a shock wave. It's vibrating the air molecules. And underwater, there's not much air. So it vibrates the water molecules, right? And if it goes underwater, the, we call it a speaker that makes sound in air because you know, it's like we speak and you can hear it. Underwater, they call it a sonar, mm -hmm. okay? And so the sonar wave sends out sound pulses under the water. How many think that sound goes faster underwater than air? How many think it goes faster in air than water? Okay, well, you're all wrong. <laughs> How fast does sound go through air? Now, it depends on the humidity and the temperature a little bit, but it goes about how fast? Who can tell me? Mach 1, speed of sound. Mark. 700 miles an hour. How about 760? You'd be a lot closer, wouldn't you? About 760 miles an hour. How fast does it go underwater? Again, depends on the temperature, mm -hmm. and it depends on how salty the water is, a little bit, but it goes about, who can say? About 3,200 miles an hour. Wow. About 4.3 times faster than it does in air. Okay? So, a fish finder has a little speaker, underwater speaker, that you drop below the water, and it sends a sound wave down towards the fish. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't want to freak out the fish, so they use an ultrasound, a high frequency, so the fish can't hear it. We can't hear it either. But it sends out little pulses, kind of like a bat does. A bat hears by barking out little sounds and listening to them reflect back. And that's what I'd like to do with this. This is my little underwater speaker, and we're going to let this air be water tonight, okay? I was going to bring water. <laughs> now, this is a fish, right? So let's suppose that I shoot my little sound out through my speaker like this, and I'm now going to ask for my, <clears throat> my sound. Hopefully I'll get some going. Do you hear it? Do you hear that sound? Not so loud, a little softer, a little softer. You hear that? Now watch. You hear the difference? 
Is this microphone on? <laughs> So a little bit of the sound reflects off the fish back up to the sensor. And if you know, the sound goes through water at 3,200 miles per hour, then you can calculate by how much time it took for the pulse to get back, how far away the fish is. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it does. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty cool. Right, John? <laughs> Pretty cool. Okay. Good. I always thought the fish finders were cheating. Is that true? I think that the fish don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, uh, some of the students and I are working on a new kind of fish finder. It's, it's kind of a, you know, a girl finder. Oh, yeah? That's racist, isn't it? No, I take that back. Uh, uh, a friend finder. How about a friend, a friend finder? That, that works. Okay, let's get back on point here. <clears throat> you know, those, uh, those printable displays are really neat, aren't they? They are. Just think. I, I wonder what we could do with that technology. I really enjoyed hearing about that, John. Thank you. Uh, and I plan to use that. Before today, I didn't know that you could spray a display. But now that I know... I'm cooking up some ideas. Anybody got an idea how we can use that? Mm -hmm. What's your idea? Okay. Well, you could just, <laughs> you know, spray on your own Dr. Peugeot. Yeah. Anybody want a personal, uh, what was and your program idea? program the right attitude. Huh? What was your idea? I was wondering how big you can spray it. Can you spray a whole wall? Oh. <laughs> I think the bigger problem would be how big can you 3D print it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you could make it really big. Mm -hmm. And I think we should. You know, one of the projects that we're working on is a thing we're calling the electronic classroom. Yeah. And the electronic classroom is kind of like the STEM pods. A lot of students have seen the STEM pods that we have in our uh, many of our cello schools. But we started developing now an electronic classroom. And the idea is it's a perfect classroom to do a cellus and kind of be supervised by a teacher. And I'd like to show you some of the preliminary drawings that we've come up with. This is uh, your first shot of an electronic classroom. You can see there's neat little chairs. And those chairs are quite special because when you push them into the table, like with no one sitting there, it charges the chair back up. And the sound actually plays in the chair so you don't have to wear headsets. Now, I'd like to show in the next picture a little more of a close-up. Not of me. <laughs> no, no. There you go. There it is, the Sullis chair right there and the student sitting there and doing the collaboration. Now, the idea of these classrooms is that we can actually put dividers, clear plastic dividers so you can see the teacher, but at the same time, it keeps the sound from disturbing the other students. And we didn't plan this. We started this about uh, six months ago. But actually, it's really nice if the flu or COVID virus or something goes through because it blocks it, mm -hmm. and it kind of helps you social distance. It really does. Which would be really nice. What do you think? I think they're going to be really neat. All right. Well, so if we go back to that first picture mm -hmm. where you see all of the chairs, do you notice there's those clear little dividers there and displays? Those are the kind of displays that you can see through. 
-hmm. And we're, we're kind of looking at those. And after the idea tonight, I think we could make those displays kind of neat so they would actually be able to display information. Wouldn't that, that be would, kind of that fun? Would be neat. And it could be a kind of display that we make. Cool. Now, a lot of people don't know this, so I'm going to tell you a secret. Not you. <laughs> I know a lot of people. This is kind of a private secret. But, uh, do we have a, a photograph that we can find very quickly of one of our STEM pods or the STEM labs? I want to show you the STEM labs because not all of you are going to schools that have these. But they're kind of neat. A STEM pod is a place where three students can sit on different sides and they can work with the robots and learn coding. And we have shipped STEM pods all over this great nation. And schools really like them, and we have a whole bunch more that uh, they're asking for this year. So we're, we're actually trying to expand our ability to make them. But the secret is this. Guess who makes the STEM pods? Aliens. That's right. <laughs> Not quite. They're actually made by students. Mm -hmm. The students at the International Academy of Science, which is the place where a lot of SELA uh, students end up after they graduate, going to, to get their college training, build these things. Now, can you see the, the STEM pods there? So it, it starts with a table, and the table has three sides for three different students to sit, and then you have that contraption in the middle, and right in the middle of the background contraption, you can see the little door where the robot hides. The hot, but it hides in plain view. It's a clear door, so the students can see the robot right away. But guess what? They don't get the robot in their hands until they've completed enough lessons to actually do something with it. But we're hoping that by the robot sitting there staring at them, that it motivates them to study hard. And whether it does or not, we don't know for 100% sure, but we know students are studying hard and they're learning coding. Now let's look back at the picture and you'll see that around the table there is a blue bumper. And that bumper is made out of rubber and if, if can we zoom in on it a little bit? If you could see real close to the bumper there, you could see there's actually two colors of blue and that blue actually happens to match the little stools. I wanted a bumper so they'd be safe in case someone trips and falls and bumps their head on the side of the table. So it had to be rubber soft and it also had to be beautiful. And I didn't want it one color because I thought it was boring. <laughs> I wanted two colors of blue and we picked out the colors of blue and so the, we went to the people that make these bumpers and said, we want these two colors. And they said, well, we don't make those colors. And I said, yet. <laughs> yet we need them and so they went back and had a big meeting and they came back and told me the only way you can get your custom two colors is if you are willing to order three and a half kilometers of bumper that's a lot three and a half kilometers that's insane I mean that's enough to go all the way to the moon and back not quite <laughs> it's a lot of bumper and so I said, okay. <laughs> and they made it for us. And we got this big, giant shipment of bumper, three and a half kilometers 
a blue-on-blue -blue bumper. Look at that bumper again. I want you to just see. We have three and a half kilometers of that if anybody needs any, but guess what? We've used it all up, and we had to order another three and a half kilometers of that bumper, which is kind of neat. Now, look at the table itself. Can you see on the table? We're zooming in on it. Look, zoom, 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 zoom. There we go. Can you see all of that writing on there? Well, we wanted to put a lot of information to help the student that was learning the coding. So we designed the table graphically, and then we printed it out on a great big plotter. So we made it like a picture. And then we ran it through a laminator that put plastic over the top, and then we laminated it to the table base, which we made out of a piece of particle board. And to make that strange-shaped table, we made a mold with a router tool and you follow the mold around, and it grinds the wood off and makes that shape and makes a lot of stuff, gets in your hair and stuff. The girl students just love it. How it, you know, it's like makeup. It's really pretty nice. It's that woodsy, yeah. earthy scent. Huh? Uh, I, don't, I don't think everybody knows this, but Dr. Monet was not born a doctor. And when she started out at the International Academy of Science, mm -hmm. she was... Just, just a person. A student. I was going to say just a, a sweet lady student. And she didn't really know that she could make stuff like this. Did you? No, actually, it wasn't as nice as I, I you was know, pretty mean back then. <laughs> when I, I remember kind of, it's fun to see what you remember about different students. But I remember the day when her class started doing soldering. Soldering circuit boards. I remember that day very well. And, uh, you know, they said, well, I don't know how to solder. I said, well, that's why you're here. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to teach you. And, but I don't think I'm ever going to use this. I don't think I want to solder. But it's, mm -hmm. it's helpful to know stuff like that. It is. And then I found out that ladies have a real advantage when they're soldering over most guys. Because you're trying to hold those little resistors and things down when you solder. And they have these long fingernails. <laughs> and they're just really nice to do that. You lose them, though. So I lose them? <laughs> oh, I already did. <laughs> but tell me something. Do you think that that was beneficial to you to learn how to solder and oh, do that absolutely. kind of stuff? I think it's yeah. really valuable to know. Now, she went on to become an electrical engineer, but understanding how those circuit boards are put yeah. together, I think, made her a better engineer. Uh, we have machines in our, in our school that stamp out the parts of the metal. We're gonna go back to our image of the STEM lab, and I want you to see the big metal thing in the middle of the page. There it is, warp speed. You see that blue thing standing up, says a cellus on it? That is actually made out of a very thin piece of stainless steel metal, and we have a machine that punches the holes for the robot, and so we can screw it together and so forth. And then the sides are punched out separately, and we bend them, and then we screw it all together, well that machine is called a punch press. And it takes a big eight foot by four foot sheet of metal, grabs it in claws, moves it around and punches all the holes in it. But you have to program the machine on where to punch what size holes. And it's really interesting for a student to learn how to do that. Now, we mainly train students to design things like the STEM pod, not to necessarily work in the factory, even though some of our people decide to go work in the factories, and, and that's a rewarding career too. But the thing that, that I don't like is to have an engineer 
design a part that you're going to punch out when the engineers never punched anything and they don't realize the practical problems mm -hmm. of doing it. <laughs> so I say if you're going to be an engineer and you're going to design things that are punched out, start out by punching some parts. Exactly. And you'll be amazed how much better it's, your parts true. punch. That Isn't that true? Really true? So we do a lot of those yeah. kind of things. Now we're going to look back at this picture. We're going to keep looking and looking. We're going to zoom in again. Can you see the biggest cellist there at the top of the blue? I mean the blue panel. The blue on there, that's actually a piece of stainless. And the blue is powder coating. Powder coating is like painting. Only the way that it works is you hook a wire up to the metal piece you want to coat, and then you spray out dust, little pieces of dust from a gun. And these pieces of dust are kind of like plastic. And as they come out of the gun, they're charged with a, a positive charge, and the wire going to the metal is negative charge. And so the dust goes over and sticks by static electricity to the part. It's kind of fascinating. One of the things I like about it is you can spray it at the part, and some of the dust will go around and stick to the back. So you can actually paint the back while you're spraying the front, which is really kind That's of a cool. neat thing. So you get all that dust stuck onto the metal by static electricity, like a balloon, you know, holds your hair. Well, the static electricity, it's not funny. The static electricity <laughs> grabs the, the little teeny pieces of, of dust, of coating, and if you take your finger, you can wipe them off. And so that's why you very gently move them into an oven and cook them. And when you cook those particles, they melt and they stick to the metal. And it's one of the very best, most durable coatings that you can make. So what is the dust made out of? The dust is made out of atoms. Uh -huh. Lots and lots of atoms. Tell me more. There, there are many different kinds of coatings that they do, powder coatings, and they have different properties. Mm -hmm. and, but they're plastic-like, at least the ones we use. Mm -hmm. And it is an amazing way to do it. Now, uh, not too many girls want to go in the spray booth and spray the powder on. But they should, because it's like makeup. The dust, <laughs> the dust kind of sticks to you a little bit, too, doesn't it, guys? Mm -hmm. A lot of the guys have tried it. Uh, but it's neat. It's neat that you can do that. Now, we're going to go back again. We're going to look at this thing, and we're going to zoom in on the top. We want to see that Acellus word up there. Can you see it up there? That is written on this stem pod by a process called screen printing or silk screen printing. And they call it silk because silk is a fabric that is very fine. And of course, all cloth is just little threads woven together. And so you have this piece of silk, and then you expose it to light with a special chemical that then fills in some of the pores and leaves some open with the pattern that you want to print. So you've got a piece of silk. And everywhere you want to print is just silk. Everywhere you don't want to print is filled in with plastic filler. So you put it over something. In fact, this is the way we used to do T-shirts. We put it over the T-shirt. Yeah, and we make our own T-shirts. Mm -hmm. Our students are amazing. And then you take a big rubber-handled squeegee, and you squeegee the, the ink or the paint across the silk. And everywhere that it's just silk, it pushes it through the silk onto whatever you're printing. And that's how we did the writing on that metal. So we learned how to silk screen. We learned how to do all those things. 
And it's very, very valuable to know some of that. If nothing else, it really makes you appreciate things that are made, which is kind of fun. And as you see how things are made, it's amazing how much it empowers you to invent. The fish just died. <laughs> how amazing it is to invent things that you can uh, put into production market, and et cetera, and so forth. We have a question. Okay. You ready for a question? You know, we were on a roll tonight. <laughs> yes. I was just really hoping for a question. Um, one of our students wants to know. Um, is this not... really one of our students? Or her is her this name you? is Trinity. Your name's tr okay. Her name is Trinity. Hi, Trinity. Mm -hmm. um, would you allow students interested in architecture to submit ideas for this electronic classroom building design oh, if the designs if the designs aren't finished already? Oh boy, the answer is the designs are just under development, yeah, they are. and we would welcome ideas. We really, really, really would welcome ideas. Now remember, when we figure this out, we actually have to build these. Mm -hmm. So you have to think about how to make them practical. And when you're building something for schools, it's got to be safe. Mm -hmm. It's got to be affordable. Mm -hmm. But it's also got to be really neat. Yeah. It's got to be something so when the kids walk into that classroom, they're, oh, thank goodness I'm in the Sullis Electronic Classroom. Mm -hmm. It's got to be really, really cool. Yeah. All right? Mm -hmm. Now, for those panels that go around there, uh, one of the ideas we're looking at is a thing that came out of a student project at MIT. Uh, they were experimenting with really, really, really tiny, tiny particles, small, so small you can't hardly see them, and they found they could coat plastic with these little particles, and you could still see through it. But if you would project an image, like from a video projector, onto this clear plastic, these little particles would reflect the light and it would look like it's a display. So we thought we could do that on here so that we would be able to actually have messages and things from the teacher right on the clear piece of plastic, which would be kind of neat. And in these, we're, we're trying to think of what is the absolute best learning environment. Yeah. This high fidelity surround sound coming from the stool, from the chair and in front, we wanted to have a display where you're having your main lesson, your keyboard and that, and then we thought it'd be kind of fun if you had another little display where your teacher could suddenly appear and say, hey, Matthew, back to work. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing the get to work. <laughs> yeah, for him. <laughs> so you can see the smiley face. <laughs> That'd be really helpful. We want to have them be something that would really, you know, raise the bar. Now, whenever you start doing a project like this, you have to start out in what I call the wild and crazy stage, or the pages mode. That's right. <laughs> wild and crazy, you know. Yeah. And that means anything goes. That when when you're just mode. thinking about this, you can design <laughs> any idea you want into this. Mm -hmm. Then there comes a later stage where you have to say, well, but, but we really can't put spaceships in these, so let's take that out. And you have to get back to reality. Mm -hmm. But we're kind of at the wild and crazy stage. And one of the things that we're actually talking about putting in this furniture is smells. Mm -hmm. Pleasant smells. Well, not necessarily <laughs> only pleasant. Well, that's the page thought. What about stink? Stink is good. No, stink's not You know good. what? If they're just guessing... <laughs> <laughs> 
Rewards yeah, come I, from I effort. <laughs> Smells are very, very, very interesting. You know, we have just a few kinds of receptors for touch. Mm -hmm. We just have a couple kinds of receptors in our eyes for light. We have hairs in our ears that pick up sounds, but when, and taste, you know, we have just four tastes. But when it comes to smell, we have thousands of different, about a thousand different types of smell sensors. And that's why we can distinguish so many different smells. When you taste different foods and they taste different, most of the difference is coming because of the order, odor that comes from the food. So we combine the smell with the, is it salty, is it bitter, is it sweet, of flavor. And <laughs> I'm just enjoying what you're saying. <laughs> Could we kind of zoom in on just me? <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. Just Look, kidding. you got your wish. <laughs> zoom in really close. <laughs> Maybe we should just zoom in on her. Let's, let's just move it over. Okay, she would now like to be zoomed in on tight, please. Okay, could we get a little tighter? Really? Yeah, this, this is, okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to turn a few minutes over to Dr. Peget to explain the smells of a solace. Oh, there are a lot of smells. If they could back up a little bit, it'd feel a little better. <laughs> Self-conscious. I feel like enough. I'm okay. right there. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, bring it back, bring it back. back up. Okay, that's good. Anyway. As I was saying, I want to talk about smell. So we have a thousand different types of sensors that help us distinguish different smells. But the interesting thing is, when you smell a peculiar odor, it takes you back to a memory better than seeing something, hearing something. There's just something about it. And they've, they've made quite a science of this. There is different centers in the brain that do different functions. And like when you touch something or when you hear something, the data goes into this certain part of the brain, which then sends it over to the memory center. But with smells, there's a thing called a smell center. Well, it isn't called that. They have, a, they have one of those names. That try not to remember. Olfactory. Because it would use up all my yeah, memory to remember. Olfactory center. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. right. But... If in the smell center, it has the amazing property of being able to remember as well as to distinguish a smell. And they think maybe that's why smells take us back. But if there is an aroma that uh, you encountered early in your life, different places, and you, and you encounter that same aroma again very often, it takes you back to that memory. And I think that's why a lot of people wear cologne or perfume because they want to create, you know, a memory for that special someone, and when they smell that, they think you, and then you hook up. You know. Okay, so <clears throat> moving quickly forward, what if we were able to somehow use aromas or smells to help trigger better memory? What if we could help a student remember something? You know, and just say, oh, that's too hard to remember. And then there's this big smell, I got it. <laughs> I could use that a couple times. All right, so we're kind of at the crazy stage. But if there is anything that helps students learn and remember better, 
I want to find it. We want to find it. Rosemary is supposed to. Rosemary helps me remember? It's supposed to help you remember better. Okay. Well, we'll give them vitamins. That's a good no, idea. Rosemary is an herb. It's a... We'll give them herbs. Yeah. <laughs> Eat your herbs and boot up your computer. She's got a lot of good ideas. <laughs> Can you tell? Yeah. Maybe you should stick to social emotional. <laughs> we'll handle chemical. Okay. It, it is really kind of exciting. <laughs> we have so many ideas in the cellus that we haven't been able to do yet. And not all of them will prove out. Some of them we just won't be able to figure out how to do them. But many will work. And the cellus will be better and better and better. I, I really like talking to parents of Acela students. Um, Acela students are very, very forthright and honest. If there's something about Acelas they don't like, they tell me. <laughs> and it's amazing. When I start hearing from one and then another and another, and they all are saying the same problem, then I know I've got something that needs to be fixed. And, and it's interesting. For example, I had a lot of students that told me that they really enjoy hearing about history from Todd Edmund. Mm -hmm. And here he is. Todd, how are you tonight? Let's hear it for Todd. Can we, can we catch him? All right, Michael, shoot him. All right, Todd, turn around and wave at Michael. Wait a minute, we're not, there he is, there he is, yeah. Okay, good. He is doing a marathon teach this mm -hmm. summer, and we are so grateful. But students, tell me, you know, there's something about the way he describes things that happen in history that I really enjoy, and we're trying to figure out what it is. <laughs> but what we know is that it works, and that's pretty neat. Now, uh, I get other messages that say, you know what, uh, that teacher not so much. <laughs> And we love all of our teachers, and I'm sure the students love them too, but I want to be in someone else's class. It's really interesting. And sometimes one group of students will like that teacher and one will like that, and we try to give them options. But there is magic that some people have in a particular subject that just really works. I think part of it is they have to be very passionate about what they're teaching. And the other thing, uh, when you're separated from the student by a camera and the internet, it's a little different than sitting right in the same classroom. And so the student, ha I mean the, the teacher has to care so much about the students that that caring feeling can come all the way through the internet. If we had an internet of smells, it would be better. But uh, here's a guy that really has mastered that. And, He's got a lot of students that are very grateful for the way he's inspired them to love and understand history. And you know, history is important. Uh, they have a saying, don't they, that says that if you don't learn history, you have to relive it. You, you want to understand history. That, that isn't how they say it. How do they say it? Those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Those that forget history are doomed to repeat it. That's what I meant. <laughs> and now I've been taught personally. <laughs> okay. Wow. Oh, and it does feel good. <laughs> it feels really good. Okay. Whoa. Now, what was that? No, I've got it. At any rate, uh, 
So we're working on these new classrooms, and I've been, been trying to figure out, so if we get this to work, and if there are little smell things, that we're, I don't know quite what this will evolve into, but then I think, you know, we've got a lot of students that are studying at home. Yeah. How are we going to bring these things to the kids at home? Quite a few students that are studying at home have been asking how can they get robots. And so I have been working with Dr. John on designing a robot that we can make in much higher quantities and bring the cost way down. If, if you're going to share it with a lot of other students at a school district, you might be able to pay a little more for a robot. But if you're going to get it just all for your own to have at home, it better be affordable for a family budget, which sometimes is pretty tight. So we're trying to figure out how to make them really affordable. I'll tell you what one of my dreams is. And uh, a dream is something that you want that hasn't happened yet. But uh, in my world, I learned from my mentor, Bill Lear, dreams can come true if you really believe in them and are willing to work to make it happen. Well, here's my dream. What I'd like to do is tie your work on Acellus to some tangible things that you can get. Uh, when you acquire knowledge, it empowers you. In your life, you're going to be able to do more, earn a better salary, do a lot of things better because of the knowledge you're getting. And yet, that's years down the road. If there was a way to get you a quicker reward, I think it would be easier for us to always stay motivated. At least that's my theory. So our chief Acellus architect, Jacob, and I have been talking about how we could build a reward system into Acellus. And uh, he's actually got some pretty neat things he's putting together on uh, earning gold coins by doing well in your lessons and your assignments. Now, please realize this is still a dream. I haven't got this where I want to get it yet, but boy, it's a dream I really hope we can bring to pass, and maybe in the foreseeable future. A lot of the parents are telling me that they just wish they had a cellist when they were students. And I really think that myself. Oh, if I just had this, can you think how smart I would be? Okay, never mind, as I was saying. But here's the idea with the gold coins. So if you are making progress, you get some gold coins. If you really excel on mastering a material, if you do really good on an exam, if you do some extra effort, if you make your goals, then you earn some gold coins. And the way I would like this to work out is I'd like to have it so that you can go check on your account of gold coins. And when you start getting a nice little stack of them there, you can flip over to, this doesn't really exist yet, we kind of have the beginning of it, but the Acela store. And we do have a little Acela store where we have a few things, but you go to the Acela store, and the way I want it is that you can shop at the Acela store with these gold coins. So if you really study hard, you can go buy stuff. And what kind of stuff? Well, all kinds of stuff. Hydrogen bottles, T-shirts. But I'd like to get it to the point where you can get things like robots and things that will teach you coding and really help you in your studies. I'd like to have posters. 
I think posters are fun. If you've got a real neat poster like that John Wayne poster I showed last night. <laughs> well, then it does inspire us to do our best. But wouldn't it be fun if you were able to earn these things? And even young students, they could get a special pencil or... Well, we, we actually have started building a uh, inventory of a sell of stuff with this goal in mind. Right now, the only way we have is if people want to spend their money buying them. But I'd like to make it so that mom and dad don't buy it for you, but you earn it for yourself. And anything that will motivate us to learn and, and help us understand that working hard and learning is creating results. And these are near-term results to be long-term results. Now, there's a guy that's my dear friend, Mr. Bezos at Amazon. And by the way, we've never met. <laughs> I'm just making a prediction here. My going-to-be-good friend, mm -hmm. Mr. Bezos, I understand that he's had a pretty good year so far. <laughs> and and uh, I'm, I'm going to have Dr. Peget introduce me to him as soon as she meets him. <laughs> okay, I'll be right on You that. have a new assignment to meet him, okay? okay? And when you meet him, what I would like him to do, I would like to see if Amazon would provide a tremendous service to all the Acela students by offering free shipping of our Acela's gold coin purchase stuff. Our students. They should do that. I mean, wouldn't that be a great thing for them to do to help education? Because I think it'd help. Because I think I've about got everything else worked out except for the shipping. And you know, he's clever. He's made this wonderful shipping system so that he's got shipping coming every which way. He's even got people that are just normal people that go over and pick up stuff and they go in their normal cars and take it to your door. You met them yet, the Amazon people? Sometimes, you know, oh, it's a good day. Look, they're bringing the Amazon van. Other times, it's just some old clunker car, and they come and they bring it. <laughs> well, since they're coming to your house anyway to bring all the stuff your mom and dad ordered, they just will bring your stuff at the same time. You know I mean? <laughs> That's the way I've got it figured out. But wouldn't it be fun if you could go in there and order stuff? So I'm working on this, and we've got people helping out. I would like to know what you would like to have in the store. I need ideas. If, if I get this going, and I'm, I'm determined to do it, so I will. I can't tell you how soon. Maybe 100 years? <laughs> Maybe in Is a month. Is that a promise? 100 years? Uh-huh. That means we're going to be doing this for 100 years. <laughs> Before 100 years, okay? But um, I would like to know what things you would like us to get. So uh, where's David? David's kind of, there back. he is. He's the chief uh, getter. getter of stuff for the school. <laughs> David, do you want to come up here to this uh, microphone? I, I don't think everybody knows No, David. I don't think they're going to know. Really like Hello, know David. <laughs> yeah. Okay, come right over here. So, David, will you please say hi to everybody? Hello. No, to everybody. Hi. Everyone? <laughs> there you go. Good. So some of you know David because uh, he is one of the guys, if you're in Acellus Academy, uh, he's one of the people that helps support students. And you help in what classes? Um, I help with the coding courses, um, some of the STEM ones and some of the high school ones. Which high school ones? Um, there's coding? the, yeah. What else? 
Um, I help with some of the social studies ones as okay, well. Okay, good. So uh, David is a student at the International Academy of Science. He's really brainy, <laughs> right? And right now, one of the specialty things he's getting into is SEO, search engine optimization. And this is a, an area that a lot of you ought to be interested in right now because a lot of people decide, wow, I'm going to get a website and I'm going to have a store and I'm going to make a lot of money. And so they put up a website and they, no one ever sees it. They don't ever get any orders and they're trying to figure out why isn't this working. And the reason is you've got to get Google and, and Bing and the different search engines to send people to your site. And there's a really, really, really big science to this, isn't it? Now, I'll just put him on the spot a little bit. Will you please tell them who Smog is? <laughs> um, well, that's a loving term we've come up with for Google Ads and the way they love gold. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in Lord of the Rings, in The Hobbit, the, the dragon was named Smog. And if you remember, the dragon loved gold. He's addicted to gold. And if you want to know how to work with Google AdWords, then you've got to realize that there's a dragon inside there that makes the decisions. And the drag, if, if you do advertising on Google, you set up an AdWords account and advertise your website, that doesn't mean he'll show it to anybody. And you have to dangle gold in front of him to get him to do anything, don't you? And it's really wild. We love doing it. Student projects. We love to do experiments with smog. <laughs> and for example, if you go in and say, "Okay, we don't have a lot of money. Let's say we will pay a uh, dollar fifty every time someone clicks on our ad, because you have to bid how much you'll pay for every click, and you have to pay for them. If you don't pay enough, he won't ever show it. And if you pay quite a bit, he won't." often show it either. And then we say, but a maximum of $50 a month. And you wait, and the phone never rings. You never get any orders. Mm -hmm. And so you say, OK, $100 a month. You don't get any clicks. You don't get billed anything. So what do we do? Um, increase the amount that we're willing to spend. So that yeah. And you can bid more per click. That's one way, but the good way is you say, okay, maximum monthly budget, $100,000. Smog shows up in a second. Okay, okay, let's go. And you've got to be ready or you're going to owe $100,000. But if you're there, you're kind of, okay, okay, slow down, slow down, slow down. It's amazing how you work with smog. And it turns out that the thing he really likes is what he calls a quality score. Why do people use Google? to find things they want on the internet. When Google came out, there were a lot of other search engines, and Google very quickly took over as the leader, and they are still the major market leader. Did you ever think of why? Why are they so powerful? Why does everybody want to use Google? And the answer is real simple. Because when you search on Google, they are better at finding for you what you're looking for than anybody else. And they made a science of that. They had a new breakthrough on how to do it, and it worked. And that's why they are such a powerful, successful company. And so if you want Google to run your ads, well, then your ad, if they click on it, is going to go to your website. 
And your website better be what people are looking for when they see your ad. And if it isn't, if they look at your ad and say, oh, that's just what I want, they click on it, they get to your website, I didn't want this. <laughs> then you have what Smog calls a low quality score. And they won't send anyone again because people won't want to use Google. So if you want to get more clicks, then you've got to go fix your website so it matches your ads. And that's what you're doing. And he's doing it quite well. He's going to be extremely valuable. Problem with guys like this is they're hard to hire because when you know SEO, you don't have to take a job. You can just go set up a website, start selling stuff, then you can go fishing. <laughs> I'm serious. Do you know what it's like for these SEO experts? Yeah, they're sitting yeah, there, yeah. they're fishing. Where is it? <laughs> I love your fishing. Happen to have one here. They're sitting here fishing, and right while they're fishing, <laughs> They can fill in their back and pocket. it's their <laughs> telephone beeping every time they get a cell. <laughs> can you imagine making money while you're fishing? It's really kind of fun. And that's what you can do if you can tame smog, right? Okay, but what, what I'd like to do is have you tell us some of the things that are in the Acela store because David is the guy that created the Acela store, and he's the guy that's finding the stuff to go in there. So we're going to get you some more ideas of what to have there, okay? Tell us what you have now. Um, well, we have a few different apparel options. We have some t-shirts, polo shirts, hats. We also have a few different types of keychains, um, pencils, pens, posters. Um, robots. <laughs> yeah, robots. Mm -hmm. A few different electronics. We also have some tablets and lockdown laptops. Um, That's pretty, if we want to just go look at the stuff in the store, how do we find it on the internet? Yeah, it's at acellus.com forward slash store. And if you're on acellus.com, is there a link to it somewhere? Down near the bottom of the page. And it's called store? Yeah. So All right, so you can go look at that. So really, that's not a program we're really pushing because the goal of the store is to make it so you can go shop there with your gold coins you earn by being a very studious little beaver. Okay. But we're still getting it going. And what we'd like to know now, and please send in your oh, ideas, <laughs> we would like to know what stuff you want David to put in the store, right? I want to sell scrunchies. Wow. <laughs> what are scrunchies? Are those I think it's like a girl gummy thing. bears? It's a girl thing. It's, it's for a girl your hair. Thing? Uh -huh. It's for your hair, David. <laughs> okay, thank you. And they want Scrunchies. more posters. And they want what? More. What posters do they want? I don't know. We'll ask them. Acellus posters. They want Acellus posters. posters. So if we had some <laughs> new posters, what would you like them to be like? You know, we're getting designs for the classroom of the future. Why don't you just drop a poster? Mm -hmm. You could even draw it by hand and just take a photograph, shoot it into us. We, not, we like new ideas, don't we? We do. We'd like to have a lot of posters. Mm -hmm. And we, we especially like posters that inspire people to study, to understand the power of knowledge. And Isn't that right, yeah. David? Okay. Um, so anything else you want to ask? You know, there's, there's thousands of people watching right now. By the way, uh, I don't know if you know, but I... What, what is our live count showing as tonight? People, 
6,000 people watching live. We actually have that on our site. We actually have about three times that that are actually with us live, and we get a lot during the week, and seems to be growing every week. So there's a lot of, there's about 18,000 people watching you now. So what do you want to say to them? <laughs> um, I guess I would just recommend that you go check out this really neat store. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Could we, could we come up with some, is there, isn't there a thing where if they're a cell student that you give them a discount? Um, we have something set up through the parent account. We don't have it set up for all cell students at this point. But their parents can go in and get a discount? Yeah, at this point we have a discount for the gold book under the parent account. It's under manage account. Well, don't you think we ought to have some special thing so if they are watching here, they should get some special deal? Yeah. 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 So, can we give you one week to come up with a <laughs> an eat deal? Sure. Have we got one thing that a lot of students really like that we could figure out how to make this, kind of try this out a little bit? Um, a lot of the STEM shirts and other parallel. They like the shirts? Like, yeah. Okay, so if we, STEM shirts, that's because you, you actually help the STEM students. So next week, could you come wearing a STEM shirt? Okay. <laughs> and you, you show it to him. And could you have something, some secret thing on the site that they can do to get a STEM shirt at half price? Okay. Yeah. But they have to watch here and, and learn the secret you're going to tell them and then get it at half price. Mm -hmm. okay. And we'll call it our Summer David Turnout <laughs> Special. <laughs> okay? All right, so if you want to be part of the, the STEM extravaganza, then be here next week, okay? And pick out the most popular STEM shirt. Okay. And you know what would even be more fun? If someone scratches any idea for a STEM shirt, uh -huh. maybe we could create it for them. That'd be fun. You know, we, like I said, everything's done by students. We have a, a silkscreen printer that prints T-shirts, only you have to print each color one at a time. And so we got this funny contraption that turns around and it has all these screens on it. So you put the shirt on a little table, then you pull around the first screen, you print the first color, and then you pull it up, you bring a, a heater, an infrared dryer, and you dry it for 30 seconds, then you pull it over and you do the next color and you print it. And we do up to five colors. And that was really fun to learn how to do that. You've done that, haven't you? Yeah, that's really fun. And still we start getting too many people wanting shirts. So then we got a new uh, t-shirt printer that is actually a machine that does all the colors at once. And it actually sprays the ink on. That's what we have now. The neat thing about this new printer, we don't have to make up all the silk screens. So if we had a really neat design, mm -hmm. we could just put it on there and... So if someone gave us a really neat idea for a shirt and told us their name, we could, down the corner, put a little teeny credit with their name. Wouldn't that be neat? And we can help fancy up the art. You just have to give us a really sneezy idea. And this could be the t-shirt contest of July 2020. That'd be neat. Wouldn't it be fun? So how should we, you can just send them in like they do. Where did they send them? That's what I was wondering, the best place. Where's the best place? 
Tina, to send in these ideas and things. The thing you're monitoring is? It's the forum. The forum? So is that what they're doing now? No. How are they coming in here? They're going through the Science Live Forum. So I think the Science Live Forum is a real good place. That's where we're getting these messages right now, right? Wait, 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 stop, stop, hold it. What? They can't add attachments. I just gave him David's personal account. <laughs> so how are they going to send us their best ideas if they can't add attachments? So, a Cellus Academy contact form. So they go to the Cellus Academy page and contact us. Hmm. That's like your way, does it? Hmm. <laughs> hmm. So what if we do it through the store? How can we send you a message of the store with a great idea for a shirt or for something else we want? Yeah, um, we have a contact form on there. Um, they could maybe send it to the email info to sellsacademy.com. Mm -hmm. And if they send you a message, they could also link to it. Yeah. And they could put the image up anywhere. You yeah, put it on true. Facebook. You could put it wherever you'd like. Can they attach an image to your form? I don't think they can at this point. Mm -hmm. But they could send a link to the yeah. image. So if you have any place that you use, if you do Facebook or you do any site, we'll, we'll get that fixed yeah. so it's easier to do it. And is there an email they can send it? Yeah, info at acellusacademy.com. That's I-N-F-O. I-N-F-O at acellusacademy.com. Yeah. They can send it there, and we would get it. Any ideas of things you want in the store? But if you want to be the winner of this sizzling hot summer T-shirt contest, <laughs> then you want to send a design or an idea. But it, all we need is a good idea. You don't have to be an artist. You just got to be a thinker. It's got to be something that every student would want to have, like maybe a page, Dr. Peugeot t-shirt. <laughs> I don't think they want that. If you want that, just send a message. <laughs> <laughs> okay? All right. Thank you, David. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful week. Thank now. you. Thank you all for joining us this week. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.